This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back. This is the Struck Podcast, episode 36. Uh, In today's episode, we're going to cover a recent lightning puncture um, in a UPS 747 radome. So we'll talk a little bit about that. Uh, Korea has a fun new offering where you can basically get in a plane and go nowhere and come back. So we're going to talk about the state of the airline industry. A lot of Boeing 737 MAX news. Uh, Obviously, the FAA granted its uh, airworthiness certificate. So we're going to talk about that and also some of the uh, countries that are still not allowing the Boeing 737 MAX to fly. In our engineering segment, we're going to talk about the BMW electric-powered flying wingsuit, which is fascinating. And we're going to talk about the sweep of wings, carbon fiber reinforced plastic, and some other uh, wing shape uh, considerations. And then lastly, in our EVTOL segment, we're going to talk about WISC and NASA and a little bit of um, collaboration uh, between them recently. So, Alan, number one, UPS had a radome punctured, huh? Yeah, they did. The FAA had an incident noticed uh, over the weekend that said a 747 that had departed, from what I can tell, departed Portland, Oregon, and landed up in Alaska in Anchorage, had a radome puncture right in the nose. And that's the only damage description they had, which was odd. And uh, did a little digging on it to see if there's any photos. Of course, landing in Anchorage, Alaska on a UPS in the middle of the nighttime, there's no one out there to take a picture of it. But that radome will end up in some repair facility somewhere across the United States, most likely. And uh, it's, an, it's an unusual thing because you don't hear a lot about uh, radome damage to 747s. It must occur. But that radome is ancient in terms of its design. It was designed back in the 70s. And it uses metal bars for lightning protection, which are pretty standard Boeing fare. And the the only issue is the sort of the, the front part of that radome really doesn't have any lightning protection on it at all. So it would seem theoretically possible you're going to get a puncture in it every once in a while. But it's just kind of the wrong time of year, too. It's November. There's not a lot of thunderstorms going on. Maybe there are in the Northwest. Uh, but evidently took a puncture so it, it, it was uh, significant enough that the FAA or somebody reported it well that's key piece of news yeah well talk about that a little more so obviously like I've seen more and more photos of radome punctures and they seem insane that like this yeah. smooth tip of your airplane can just suddenly have a smashed in open hole in it and the plane is just fine I mean how is that aerodynamically okay well that's a really interesting question uh, because we went through a uh, couple different scenarios with that recently of what happens when there's a hole in a in a nose radome because a lightning strike can cause that but there are a number of other causes for it some sort of structural issue like a a bird strike potentially yeah or a bird a bird coming right through the radome which is not uncommon to go right through and that makes a pretty massive hole (laughs) and and messy and smelly too yeah it doesn't smell good either and then there's other failures in which uh like we had that episode down in mexico where they had the bulb seal all the way around the radome so the radome couldn't breathe essentially and it it collapsed the front part of the radome in 
uh, it's just another structural failure. So as soon as you open up some sort of hole, there's concern about aerodynamic forces and air, uh, just inflating the radome. But uh, from what I can see in some analysis I've seen, it's not really an issue so much because hmm. there's been a lot of holes from by birds going through radomes, and the radomes have... I've not seen one self-destruct from that. The, the radomes are pretty tough because they're, they're a, a, typically a fiberglass or Kevlar epoxy mix with some sort of honeycomb in or, or foam. Uh, and they're really resilient structures. So even though you damage some part of it, it doesn't necessarily uh, cause a lot of additional stress elsewhere. And it's not a load-bearing structure. That's the thing about a radome. It's not carrying a lot of load besides aerodynamic load. There's not, like there's wing forces on it or lift forces on it. It's essentially a fairing. Uh, so mm -hmm. it just it has air load. So there's not a lot of forces put on it. So when you put a hole in those radomes, it doesn't necessarily, uh, on its face, it's not really a, a, a significantly serious issue where the FAA has raised flags about it. As you, have, I, I saw a YouTube video of the weekend talking about the the radome that got punctured coming out of Europe and they landed, I think it was in Denver, a couple of years ago. And that radome hole was the size of, about the size of a bowling ball. And they flew for hours like that and as a 757 and it was fine. So if if that kind of damage is happening on a secondary structure, which it is, and and all the life experience we have with those holes would say it's not really a significant serious issue for aircraft flight. It's a costly issue to repair, but in terms of aircraft safety, it's not really an aircraft safety issue. Well, is a is a radome pretty solid underneath or because I conceptualize it as kind of just like a bowl like turned yeah. upside down like an empty cereal bowl are they it pretty is. much empty underneath yeah 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 I mean except for the the weather radar antennas uh there's red weather radar antennas underneath of it there's uh glide slopes and sometimes localizer antennas but those are much smaller the, the main main piece is the weather radar and then if you're talking about military aircraft sometimes there's some other kinds of spooky electronics up front up there but mainly it's mainly it's just the weather radar gotcha gotcha well, moving on uh, to much much sillier note, in uh, South Korea, they are doing a sort of a sightseeing program where I guess people are just so ready to do something and spend a little money and see the sights that you can get in a, in, a, in a plane, it'll take off, fly over some other country, so it's technically an international flight, will not touch down and will just come back to the original airport. Alan, <laughs> what is happening? What is happening in 2020 right now? People are getting on airplanes, spending money to be on an airplane to just circle and come back. Are you getting double miles or triple miles when you fly that way? Or is there I mean, is you... champagne in the cabin? <laughs> what kind of meal service are you getting on this flight? There's something There's something I'm missing here. Are they handing out free cigarettes and booze on that flight? <laughs> because otherwise how why would you lock yourself inside of, a, of an aluminum can for a couple of hours to go fly over some, you can't even see they really see the ground at thirty five thousand feet so why why are you doing this i don't understand it but you yeah think they have a long line of people signed up for it or what i don't know but the so this photo from the korea herald.com shows <laughs> there's a photo there's a photo from inside the cabin just showing four people all leaning out the out the their window or not leaning out their windows but just at their windows <laughs> with their yeah that'd be that'd be a hoot um with their cameras just like but like you said i don't know if they're going up to, to normal altitude here if they could have some sort of different flight path but you're right like what are they taking a photo of if they're thirty-five thousand feet but 
people are just well it's and it sounds like one of the things is the duty-free shopping on board so that they're potentially they can make some money not make some money back but save some money on making duty-free purchases while in the air I, I, I don't know. It just I, seems bizarre I, to me. Well, yeah. is is it because uh, remember back, this is several years ago, where the, I think it was the Soviets, it could have been the Russians, but I think it was the Soviets shot down that Korean airliner that had entered into their airspace. And they basically the, the, the gist of it was that the Soviet Union slash Russia uh, thought that the Koreans were spying on them. So you, it also makes you kind of wonder, well, you do these international flights, is it just some sort of surveillance flight? Is, is that what's going on? It's a way to get airplanes in the air so you can watch what's going on on the ground somewhere else? Is that what it's all about? It is, it is a very odd odd thing that happens. So I haven't seen that in the United States. No one, no one's saying, hey, let's go fly around. Let's go fly over Canada and come back. I haven't see, seen that one yet, but maybe there is. Uh, yeah, I don't know. America's so unpredictable. I mean, people <laughs> don't want to fly on airplanes, but like a start, large percent of the country is like outraged they have to wear a mask and refuses to do it. It's like, it's, it's chaos. I don't know. I can't imagine getting on a plane just to come back, but Maybe if you're really bored, you just want to do that. Like it's like a date night. Spend five hundred bucks on flight to nowhere and come back. Like I don't know. You got to be really bored like, to do that. <laughs> Maybe they have the new a new movie coming out. Maybe they have a new. They're showing the new movie on the whatever the new Marvel movie is on the airplane as you're flying over who knows where, right over the Sea of Japan. <laughs> fun, fun. Well, maybe if they did like theme night, like, yeah, you get some like spooky movies and they serve Halloween candy and you, I don't know, they could make it kind of fun. Maybe that's the future. That's how oh, all the airlines get saved. Speaking of the airlines, the Boeing 737 MAX is back. So the FAA today released a statement. They had a YouTube video explaining that, all that stuff that, you know, that they've officially met after 20 months. Um, the FAA's requirements to be safely back in the air. So, Alan, what were the final things that they had to approve and fix? And how do you feel about this move finally? Well, it's good. It's it's finally come to some conclusion. Uh, the goal is that if we can get the 737 Max back up and flying, and we can get the economy going again and get in some get people moving again, it sort of picks up steam. So the impact of Boeing can be somewhat minimized because of the pandemic, but the the max has a couple of tasks to go do one there's some there's a software update obviously on the mcas limiting its authority and limit the number of times it'll fire and then they're going to be picking up two aoa uh, probes instead of the one so there's a, a comparison going on and there's a bunch of pilot training that's going to happen to address the pilot training issues and then there's a wires harness uh, correction that was picked up during the review of the whole aircraft where they need to separate some wire harnesses back in the tails. So there, there is a good bit of work to be done. You know, I think Boeing had a couple hundred airplanes on the ground that it were, were finished product, essentially. They're going to have to go back and touch and update. Well, it applies and employ some people up in the Seattle area to go do that. Uh, but the, the bigger picture is getting all the pilot training, because you can imagine how many 737 pilots there are on this world. There's a lot, there's several thousand of them. So there's only a certain amount of, of you know, uh, there's a certain limited amount of resources for pilot training. So it, I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle. Fixing the airplanes and updating the airplanes will be relatively fast compared to, I think, the pilot training. That's going to be the hurdle. 
Well, and another interesting side note is that Canada has not ungrounded 737 MAXs there. And it seemed like Brazil said they're still just not through their process yet. Like they don't have the manpower of uh, the FAA. So they're just not quite there yet. Um, how do those two countries, and of course, IASA, you know, approved airworthiness uh, last sure. month. So how do you feel about this? This, I mean, it's not everywhere yet. So right. is that going to be a significant hurdle still? It'll be a hurdle. I'm sure there's a lot of internal discussions about that, those particular countries and any country that hasn't approved it yet. Uh, I, I think the FAA has, has put out some statements over the last week or so explaining their position on that and why they think the aircraft is safe to return to flight. The COVID can be used as 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 sort of a crutch for a little while for you know Canada and Brazil. They can use it as a ex- explanation of why they can't process all the things that are coming at them at one time. And that's true. That's true. You're, you're definitely limiting your, your resources right now. But this has been going on for 20 months. And I, mm-hmm. my guess is that Boeing and the FAA has done a pretty good job, and EASA has done a pretty good job of communicating the details. And that's why Boeing had that meeting over in Europe with the ASA and the FAA to coordinate some of this. So you would think that uh, the coordination effort be pretty well wrapped up, but I think the if it if, if Canada takes another month, is it really going to impact Boeing all that much? Probably not. It's going to hurt if things were to pick up very quickly in the next month in terms of the COVID uh, pandemic issue, then the operators of those aircraft in Canada and Brazil are I mean, kind of put, put in a pinch, right? So you're really only hurting the airlines in your own country. And uh, it's not going to make all that much difference to Boeing in the short term. Well, and my last question here is for consumers, does this make any difference? Like, do I want to fly in a 737 MAX? Is there any meaningful? Are the chairs, do they smell like honeydew or something? <laughs> like, is there anything I'm going to notice as a consumer being in a 737 MAX versus a 737-800 or some previous model? Well, every Boeing aircraft is better than the previous generation. That's just the way that it is. I, I, I don't, because you can order your aircraft with specific features, who knows what aircraft you're going to, what MAX version you're going to get in first, right? But it, the reason they, they created the MAX with the engines and had to make the move on the engines, which then caused them to put the MCAS system in, which then caused some issues with the pilots and the crashes, was efficiency. It's just less costly to operate, more efficient engines, less costly to operate. So the where that goes is into airline profitability and somewhat into lower ticket prices or maintaining ticket prices low. And those are all positive things, and that's why the Max will be a very successful aircraft, even after all this. And remember, a lot of aircraft have had early issues on entry to service where they've had accidents, and then they've had a 30-year span of great performance. So having a new, um, it's not necessarily a new aircraft, but new aircraft systems can be problematic, uh, not necessarily to this extent, but they can be problematic. And it's really left up to the aircraft manufacturer to make sure that they pick those up, detect what's going on, and correct it so that they can get to that 30-year span of productive money. All right, so in our engineering segment here today, our first topic today is a fascinating, this almost seems like this should be a Red Bull product, but this is the uh, the BMW electrified wingsuit. And it basically looks like, like the Batman symbol like it looks like a bat wing because it's this this device that's on your chest and if you don't know what a wingsuit is it's you know these 
um, like flying squirrel, bird-like suits that kind of give a human wings. You know, it pretty much webs your entire body between your legs, between your arms. So as you're skydiving, you can just, you know, kind of fly. But this is actually giving you your personal, essentially, uh, this is, what is the sound? These are two electric turboprops. Is that essentially what it is? Electric fans, I'd say ducted fans, yes. Okay. So not quite turboprops, but um, Alan, this is some, I mean, the video is insane. We'll link to this in the description of the the podcast below. And again, it seems like right out of Red Bull, but um, really interesting. So, I mean, why do things like this, is this significant for what, what industry is this significant for? A lot of these just out of the side of the box things are really fascinating, but are, is this going to be a consumer thing in the future? Is this just pushing the limits, just showing what things can do? Like, what do you, where do you see this fitting into? Well, those wingsuits are always interesting because it's essentially graceful falling. That's essentially what those suits are. You can have some control over, over falling because they always have the parachutes on their on their back, right? So as soon as they mm-hmm. want to stop falling and and guiding themselves where they're falling, they pull the chute and then they, they go land somewhere. Uh, the whether the the fan aspect and the BMW aspect basically adds thrust. So now you can actually have a lift because you have enough propulsion to go vertically up. That changes the dynamic of it. So now you are kind of flying. And and you remember from a couple of years ago, I think it was in Dubai where they had the the winged uh, the actual carbon fiber wings on the back with the little jet engines on them and they were flying next to that Airbus A380. That was fascinating, mm-hmm. right? So you know you can do that already. That's been that's done. And so the BMW version basically makes that electric because that, that yeah. right? So it's gone from a, a, a gas-driven thing to an, an electric an electric motor and a battery pack. So it's I guess it's a green energy form of flying. Is that... Maybe it's the greenest form of energy flying that we have right now. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, right. But it's just a, it's another of those uh, sort of X game kind of adventure fun things. The technology, the, the, the thing I thought was interesting is they put them in a wind tunnel and they did some testing on it so that there was less risk that the, the, the guy flying the suit wasn't going to die in it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that, that made a lot of sense. Like, hey, someone's really thinking this out a little bit because it's a pretty risky little adventure here. You're going to put some thrust on your chest and go really, really mm-hmm. fast, and who knows what's going to happen, right? So good for them. They actually did some work in BMW. The BMW aspect is interesting, too. I think you raised this, which is like, why is a car company getting involved in uh, this yeah. flying thing, right? Maybe it's electric motors. Maybe, maybe that's- and maybe... Maybe, you know, like in your mind, where does BMW fit into like the the luxury car, you know, lineup? You know, they're not like Mercedes. There's obviously like Bentley and all those are like a way higher price tier. But mm. maybe BMW is trying to differentiate themselves and appear to maybe like more younger hip people as like we're the Red Bull of, uh, sure. you know, and I'm throwing out Red Bull a bunch, but like maybe this is like, you want to get a, a single guy like me who's like, yeah, I want the I want the hip luxury. I got sixty grand to spend. I want like the cool <laughs> car, more so than like the, you know, Mercedes are obviously cool, but they're more of like luxurious than maybe BMW is like the fast ones that you want to drive around, going too fast through curves in in London. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I think it's probably the Tesla effect in in this sense that if you're going to spend sixty or seventy grand on a car, you can drop that on a Tesla and you can go really fast in a Tesla. Yeah. You do a lot of crazy, crazy things in a Tesla that you may not be able to do in a BMW today. 
probably zero to sixty or zero to hundred is is that's Tesla's sweet spot. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, if it pushes, and I think you're right about this. If it's pushing a marketing change or just a shift in attitude towards the brand, then it makes total sense to do this. And you, you know, BMWs we work on electric vehicles, and you know, uh, most of Europe's going to end up that going that direction at some point in the next five years. So is it part of that little marketing scheme to keep building up the the, the brand name? Probably is. Smart idea. Yeah, could be. And I, I know BMW's had an electric vehicle. Have you seen yeah. it? Yeah. It's really interesting. They had a, like a, I think they had a really small one, right? Mm-hmm. And they had a more like long one that looked like this incre- like incredible roadster. It looked like an extremely expensive like Italian sports car. And I think that one was electric. So <laughs> maybe they are. They're just trying to differentiate themselves and, and maybe they want to go way more expensive than tesla you know like as you go into electric vehicles maybe like we can't compete at tesla prices maybe like we need someone to spend 100 grand on our electric car so we got to be cooler right and and, maybe but, yeah yeah and, and also there was a discussion pre-covid to having that uh e-racer or e-flyer uh racing series where it had electric aircraft racing remember that was going to be part of this past summer mm-hmm. it was supposed to happen maybe that was also part of bmw's play again getting to that red bull kind of crowd that would make a lot of sense that uh i think th- and i i really want to see that i think that's i would love to see that on espn besides the little electric drone things they have on espn i don't even understand that one but <laughs> electric aircraft that are going a couple hundred mile an hour and racing that would be pretty cool, and it would set also set that brand name up because, like a couple of years ago, Jaguar had hooked up with uh, Beach Aircraft, where you could buy a uh, Beach Bonanza and a matching colored uh, Jaguar at the same or Jaguar, sorry, at the same time. Jaguar, <laughs> Jaguar, right? So you could actually, and I've seen that a couple of times. I think that happened recently again. I think th- where it had a matching airplane car uh, purchase. <laughs> yeah, I mean. People spend money on what I think to be crazy things. That's one of them. But hey, if it sells an airplane and it keeps people employed, I'm all behind it. Do it. There you go. Well, speaking of back to airplanes, uh, interesting article from physicsworld.com just talking about uh, straight versus and, and untapered versus straight and tapered versus swept and untapered. Lots of different things in, in wing design and in uh, airflow over the wings, different um materials for wings so alan one of the things that really stuck out to me about this article was the straight wing versus the um swept wing so why mm-hmm. is that such a big deal why do no commercial airliners fly well all commercial airliners such a phrase is better fly with swept wings right what did they find that has made that ubiquitous in commercial travel well it's a it's a drag issue and a mock number issue uh and reducing turbulence and from airflow and especially high speeds and also just reducing overall drag on the wing and and i remember a couple of things about an aircraft wing which this is the auto aviation um, difference between that aircraft and and most other aircraft when you have to put fuel uh, petroleum jet a in in the wing the, the 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 root of the wing close to the fuselage is gonna be really thick Right, and then as you get further out, there's really little fuel in there, so the wing can really thin up. So, you got this sort of very thick wing structure near the aircraft fuselage, and it gets thinner as it goes out. So, uh, when you do that, there's there's a lot of uh, like a wind turbine, it's the same kind of thing like on a wind turbine, like near the hub of wind turbine, it's very thick, and out towards the tip, it's, it's much thinner. 
so aerodynamically, it's not the most efficient thing in the world. So uh, you're trying to compensate for that. And that's why you see a lot of different wing designs today, even like the 787, the new 777, and then like the auto aviation aircraft, the Celera, right, is is got this uh, very unique approach on where fuels can be stored and what's the most efficient wing structure. So that's definitely changing. We continue to see significant changes in the wing design over the last, even the last five years. I think because of the computational ability of most desktop computers, essentially, it's got to the point where you can do a lot of analysis on your desk instead of using a supercomputer. We're going to have better wings, more efficient wings, and we have the technology in terms of the materials to make sure it makes it more efficient. So we're taking so that basic fundamental research that happened with uh, the NACA airfoils and sort of early NASA stuff. And now we're really able to apply it 50 years later, 70 years later. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, we're not going to see a stop to it anytime in the near future. I think all these new wing designs are coming out for particularly as EVTOLs is going to show us very similar things. You're going to see a lot more new technology in terms of wing design and efficiency and aerodynamics. It's only going to get tighter and more uh, cleaner lines and more efficient as we go forward. It's, it's really going to be, in the next couple of years, it's going to be fascinating on wing design. All right. So in our final segment today on EVTOLs, interesting development between uh, WISC and NASA. So WISC, their main plane right now is the Cora, which is a really interesting design. I think it looks cool of course looking cool doesn't really get you very far but i <laughs> yeah. like it personally yeah. i'm not an aircraft or aerospace engineer but nasa is partnering with them and, and their goal in this little partnership is trying to figure out autonomous flight for the future um, especially in national airspace so alan what stuck out to you about this partnership and uh, this article out of aviation today well, NASA has done a good job in, the, in in many aspects of aviation, not necessarily like they were many years ago, which they were really involved in flight testing, new designs and new technology, and and well, they and they, they were with this this new this new supersonics and cutting down the the boom uh, noise on supersonics. NASA was involved in a good bit of that, but when you think about uh, a lot of general aviation aspects, NASA doesn't seem to be all that involved, and I think their expertise can come into sort of that between the, the FAA and TSB. Department of Transportation and the aircraft manufacturers, like how do we operate these things? And what's the best way to operate them? And how do we create an infrastructure that allows them to operate at at least a relatively efficient level? Because NASA has a lot of smart people hanging around. That's sort of what NASA does. And so if you can can apply them to a particular problem, which there isn't a resource for, because the aircraft companies aren't doing it. And WISC is not going to go out and look at the national aerospace infrastructure and determine where the policy should be written and and how things should be set up in there. That's just not what they do. They're building airplanes. Uh, So you need somebody in that middle space to sort of develop that that, uh, resource, which you're going to need, because you can have the best dang airplane in the whole wide world but if you can't operate it then what's the point right it doesn't make any sense it's just like uh a lot of (laughs) it's my pet peeve over the last month or so which is why are a lot of these ev2l companies trying to build airports what is up with that why are we trying to build a heliport essentially heliports well, we haven't even built the aircraft yet, right? I mean, there, we, Boeing doesn't build airports. Uh, Airbus doesn't build airports for the most part. Why are we trying to build airports? And that's where the, sort of the NASA and some of the the, the larger uh, federal agencies can design help design the airport. Right? We shouldn't be spending money on that when we're trying to build an airplane at the same time because 
uh, physical structures take money and cash and buying land takes cash and all that stuff that you need to be pouring into an aircraft design you're 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 pushing off somewhere else and that doesn't make a lot of sense it, it just doesn't right now so i mean are do you think this is fear from some of these evtol companies where they're saying we're getting nervous that there might not be a place to put these things like they want to just Hey, like you're ma- I mean, we talked about in a recent uh, episode of the Uptime podcast about there needs to be a market first and then products to fit it, right? But right now, right. there are no, there's no places to land these things. Oh, so is that, I, there's them, or is that I, not true? I, I disagree. In the United States, if you actually, you know, we and we, if you, if you're just part of the general public and you fly commercially you'd start thinking about all the places you fly commercially because that's the sort of the short list of airports in your head but if you actually looked at the number of airports in america they're all over the place and to places you've never even heard of uh have an airport so there are plenty of places to to take off and land an air an aircraft of any most any size relatively small size you can get in and out of most most places but if you want to put it next to uh, you know, down to, downtown Manhattan, yeah, you're going to have problems doing that. But for 90% of America, there's a place to land relatively close to where you need to go. That exists today. So then that's, that's the other struggle for me. is like, why wouldn't we use the existing infrastructure for right now? And if somebody wants to build their own uh, eVTOL pad in their backyard, let them pay for it, right? Because if you have enough money to buy the aircraft, you have enough money to put down a, a, a piece of asphalt. Good enough, right? Yeah. Well, are they getting ahead of themselves? I mean, are, are they thinking that they, we need this like Greyhound bus stop where we have to have all this stuff? St- or is it really just, we just need a helipad? Like, is there anything yeah. that a helipad, no. does a helipad take care of it? Uh, yeah, it would in, in, in a large sense. I think that it would, unless there were restrictions on the noise. And that's some, there's some places in the United States where you they, they limit the use of helicopters or what times of days you can use them because of the noise issue. But there's not a lot of infrastructure needed to take off and land one of these things. And, and that's, the, that's, the, that's the mental hurdle is if you want to put a pad on top of your roof, why? That's awesome. But why one and two mm-hmm. two the aircraft companies shouldn't be getting involved in that I, I just think it's just taking away resources that they just don't really have right now all right well that'll do it for today's episode of struck if you're new to the show thank you so much for listening and please leave a review and subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts check out the WeatherGuard lightning tech youtube channel for video episodes full interviews and short clips from the show And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WG Lightning. Tune in next Tuesday for another great episode on aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardaero.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.